Happy Easter, everybody. I don't know if I can wrap the sermon, but I, no, I won't bother. Praise the Lord. I'm going to take a very simple approach to Easter. The more you study the resurrection, I think the more you wish you had. It's easy to go through the Christian life and say, well, that's like a non-issue. That's not something I should look at. But that's precisely the reverse of the truth, I think. The, the, the resurrection bears out a lot of study by us. And we're only encouraged by it. We're only edified by it. So we're going to ask three simple questions this morning. What is the resurrection anyway? What are we talking about here? When did it happen? And why did it have to happen anyway? Three simple questions, but the answers may be not quite so simple. So what is a resurrection? Well, to begin with, in, in the day in which we live, resurrections happen all the time, daily. Okay? People are raised from the dead every day. I don't mean by Christians. I mean by modern medical science. There's a difference between resuscitation and resurrection. When your heart stops, you're not dead. Okay? Not, not really dead. Your heart is stopped, but your brain keeps going, you know? And clinical death, real death, only occurs whenever the heart stops and the brain activity has also stopped. And that takes about three minutes to catch up. So if someone is brought back to life when their heart is stopped within that three-minute period, they've been resuscitated, not resurrected, because they haven't really clinically died yet. Resurrection happens after the heart is stopped and the brain has ceased its activity and the person is really dead, okay? Then and only then can you actually call it resurrection. And that's an important point because a lot of people are currently running around with what they call NDEs and OBEs, not Order of the British Empire, but NDEs, near-death experiences, and OBEs, out-of-body experiences, but their brain never stopped. Okay, there were people who were close to death, but didn't actually die. And I'm just saying, it, it is an important point, especially for us, if we're going to communicate what resurrection is in a society that increasingly understands that. Okay, Jesus died. Okay, and resurrection only applies to those who have actually died. And a few years ago, I think two years ago, we showed a film here. Uh, and, and wherever you are around the world, I, I would ask you to find this film. You can find it on TBN, on their website. The film is called To Hell and Back. I, I love that film. I think it's fantastic. It was made by a doctor who dedicated his life to researching people who had been resurrected. And he got six of the best. And he interviews them. It is excellent, fantastic to see their experiences, as I say. Resurrection bears out studying. We're only edified by it. It's so exciting. That, that film was fantastic. Many of these people who died weren't saved. And then they found themselves face to face with angels. They were in the next world. They were in the spirit realm. And they came back because they were resurrected through modern medical techniques. And they come back with stories. People who were never interested in Christianity. And it's a, I'll say it again. To Helen back. And you can go to TBN's website. It's there for free. It's about a 50-minute film made by a guy called Dr. Morris Rawlings. So resurrection is real. And the fantastic thing for us as Christians is that people say, well, I don't believe in that. That's just myth. They're wrong. They're actually scientifically wrong now. Praise God. You see what I mean? So we can, we, we can challenge people with that. But still they will say, well, I don't believe. 
I still don't believe that Jesus was actually raised from the dead because you can't show me a living, walking, talking Jesus. Oh, how do we reply to that? You can't show me a dead body, right? That's how you reply to that. Have you any idea how much the Romans wanted that body? Have you any idea how much the Jews wanted the dead body of Jesus? Right? There was nobody. He had been resurrected. And you can challenge them right back when they come at us and say, I'll believe if I see him. No. They, it, I mean, put yourself back in that position where there were guards around that tomb. You had all society against your Roman and Jew to try and get a hold of that body, but they couldn't get it because it wasn't there. Plain and simple. Oh, he resurrected all right. And there's a lot more to it than that. I mean, just hang on a minute. If, if you're the type of person who just dismisses this off the cuff, and we meet them on the streets all the time, hello, I'm a Christian. <laughs> you know, and they laugh at us. They laugh at us. They mock Christianity. They think it's the religious types. Huh. In fact, that's what we were saying yesterday in, in the drama. We're not religious types, right? This lady here who did the announcements this morning, she's a, a, a doctor of, of research. Religious type? I don't think so, right? We've got a steward here is studying history. You're not a religious type. We've got a social worker. Not a religious type. We've got a builder. Not a religious type, so don't let you off the hook. Don't let yourself off the hook saying Christians are just that sort. No, they're not. We come from every walk of life, from every strata of society, rich and poor, right? All over the world, from every tribe and creed and color. People have come out because they've all found the same truth. So the, the world tends to just make, you know, swiping uh, you know, assumptions about us, and we need to contradict that because it's completely wrong. If you're that type who says, well, you know, I, I still don't believe in the resurrection. Let me just suggest this to you. Think about it a moment. There have been people who have studied this subject so much more than you. And not only that, people who sit, unbelievers, who have set out with the sole goal to harness their intellect and to devote their life's energy to disproving the resurrection of Jesus Christ, right? I think of Frank Morrison, who was a lawyer, and he wanted to make a bit of a name for himself as a lawyer, as a barrister. And he came up with an idea. He was a very good lawyer. He said, if I could research all the documents I could find, all the historical accounts around the resurrection of Jesus, I could write a book. And in that book, I will disprove, legally if you like, to the best of my ability, the resurrection. Off he went. <laughs> Frank Morrison set out, the book never got written. Instead, he wrote another book, and it was called Who Moved the Stone? He got saved, fell on his knees, halfway through his research thinking, oh my God, I never realized there was so much evidence, overwhelmed by the, edit, the, the evidence. I think of this guy, much more famous, Josh McDowell, once again a university professor, had the same idea. He said, I'll write a book, that disproves the resurrection. He thought everybody was being led astray. So off he goes. He harnesses himself. He devotes himself to it. But um, it doesn't, it's all about the resurrection. Same thing. He got saved. Right? So if you have never taken time, as is probably true, in your life, 
to actually study this subject, it's very encouraging to me to know that those who go to enormous lengths and travel the globe actually end up falling on their face before God. Such is the overwhelming evidence. And take a look at this. I could handle people saying that they don't believe in someone who claimed to be a born of a virgin. Okay? But where I start to become unstuck and where I challenge people is, yes, he claimed to be born of a virgin, but that's not the only thing he claimed. He claimed much more than that, right? He also claimed that he, he's been raised from the dead. Amen? So, my point is this. If someone is going to say to me they were born of a virgin, and the same person is going to say that they're going to get raised from the dead, they had better do something with their life. Are you with me? I can't investigate the virgin bit, and I may be not able to, 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 to materially prove the resurrection bit, so the, that person's life had better be very significant. And my point is, you see, with Jesus Christ, just think about it. He didn't just claim a virgin birth and then give us the historicity of it. He didn't just claim the resurrection and then gave us more than 500 people at one time who saw him. He also fulfilled the thing in his life. His life is the most significant life to ever hit this planet. So that his friends, his enemies, the Jews, the Greeks, everybody wrote about Jesus. So you see, it wasn't just an historical uh, claim. It wasn't just a futuristic claim. He backed it up when he was here. And that's my point. I can understand you questioning the virgin birth. I can understand you questioning resurrection. But I, 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 I stop the bus for me when I line all the evidence up. Because then there's another reason why you're not believing. It's because you don't want to believe. You've got another motive. And you'll find people when they just don't want God. They want to live their own lives, their own way. It's bad news to them. And they're looking for other things, and often science comes into that. They'll give you this excuse or that. The life and the death of Jesus are historical facts anyway. You notice how they never challenged the existence of Nero or Pythagoras. You know, Pythagoras lived 750 years before Jesus. The square and the hypotenuse is equal to the sum of the square and the other two sides, right? Never hear that challenged. Oh, you must be born again. That will be challenged. And yet one preceded the other. They'll never, because it's a spiritual battle we're in here. And people will still argue with us, and they do. And they will say to you, well, you weren't there. When Jesus raised from the dead, how can you prove it? Because you weren't there. I say, fine, no problem. <laughs> but do you know that all day, every day around this world, judges sit in courts, and they have to assess a case, and they weren't there. Judges pass judgments. People get executed. People go to jail for life on, on the decision of someone who wasn't there. Such is the strength of circumstantial evidence. There's many different types of evidence. There's eyewitness evidence. There's circumstantial evidence. There's material evidence. And when it comes to establishing a case around the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, we are overwhelmed with evidence. It's all around us. We're surrounded by it. You're surrounded by it this morning, by the way, in the lives of believers. Amen. All right? We're overwhelmed by it. I'll give you an example 
of what I mean by circumstantial evidence and the power of it and how convincing it actually is if you accept it. There's a woman and she's found dead at the bottom of a cliff. And the police find the body and they say, oh, this is Mrs. So-and-so. And they go to the house and they find the husband and he says, what, my wife's dead? And they start to investigate and they try to figure out how she actually died. So they go to the next door neighbor. I said, do you know? Yes, yes, yes. And one neighbor says, I, she fell off a cliff. And one neighbor says, I saw that husband and the wife walk out this morning on the cliff. And another neighbor says, yes, and I saw them arguing. They were fighting at the top of the cliff. Oh. And time goes by, they knock another door, and the guy next door says, but you know what? He told me he was going to kill her. Oh. Right? So they do a little bit of investigation, and they find out that the man took out a life insurance policy, like a massive life insurance policy, just a little while previous on his wife. Right? So... The investigation begins. They sit the man down, and guess what? He confesses to it. He says, yes, I actually did it. All of that, listen, all of that is circumstantial. No one was there except the man, but you ha actually have his testimony. You see? That event, if you like, the, 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 the man said he was going to do it, so it was predicted. Okay? Then the event was witnessed, if you like, in the case of the resurrection. They've seen Jesus Christ, you see? The effects of it are everywhere. All of this is circumstantial. And I love what it says in 1 John. It's one of my favorite scriptures. And the Apostle John, of all people, he says, I testify to you about that which I held and touched. Fantastic. Do you know what he's talking about? The risen Jesus. The risen Lord. And John, and you can take it personally, folks. The Apostle John talking to you this morning. And John says this, I can testify to you about the Lord Jesus Christ, whom I touched, your Savior, the Jesus, not just died, but risen, right? Fantastic. And that was written over 50 years after the resurrection. You see, John had seen Jesus. John had touched Jesus after he was raised. So once you start to compile all of this, you soon see that not, I mean, not, not, not just like legally, the, the facts here are so overwhelming. But just look at what these men did, or John, or even Peter. Do you know in the, day of the, in, in the book of Acts, when Peter stood up to preach, there's two million Jews in Jerusalem. Peter stands up to preach, and do you know what? He's 500 yards from the empty tomb of Christ. 500 yards. And he's standing, and he's saying, Look! It's empty! It's empty! And this, for me, is one of the most convincing and overwhelming facts. It's the Jews. The reaction of the Jews in Jerusalem and what happened. The fact that Peter was able to stand there beside the empty tomb. And everyone there knew, the Jews knew, they wanted that body. The Romans knew, we wouldn't let that body go. And Peter boldly was able to stand and say, see, it has happened. The tomb is empty. All of that is massive, huge, overwhelming circumstantial evidence. So, that is plain and simply what resurrection is. Resurrection is, is, is the coming back to life, not resuscitation, of Jesus Christ. And it's exactly what happened to him. The second question, equally as simple, but phew, we don't have to get c confused about this one. And that was, 
when did Jesus actually rise from the dead? Now, when we're down on the streets and you're preaching the gospel, many, many times people will shout out from the crowd, your Bible's full of contradictions. Have you heard that? You hear that again and again and again and again and again. But you see, the scriptures are not full of contradictions. There are many testimonies here. There are many eyewitness accounts of many things. But, I mean, if I ask one person about this drama, you would give me your account. And if I ask this person about this drama, they would give me their account. And they could be different, believe me. Because people see different things. And that's what you've got in the Bible, not contradictions. I'll give you an example that concerns the resurrection. Was Jesus Christ in, I mean, yes or no, was Jesus Christ in the grave for three days and three nights? Yes? You sure? <laughs> you don't seem very sure. The answer is typical. I mean, it, 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 it's, it's yes. But you see, the, 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 the retort then from society is, aha! If you say that Jesus was in the grave for three days and three nights, then you, your Bible's full of contradictions. Because if he died on Good Friday... And if he was raised on Easter Sunday, that's only one day, Saturday. And it's only two nights. So sort yourself out, church. I can't believe a Bible. If, if, if you're not going to explain this to me, when did he die and when did he rise? Was it three days or was it not? And, you know, we have a massive battle in the church between tradition and this book. Tradition always tries to so often contradict the book, the Bible. And when it starts to, 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 to take over... That's where the confusion comes in. And that's where it seems to contradict, but it doesn't. You see, Jesus didn't die on Good Friday. And he was not raised on Easter Sunday. These are the Easter, the word Easter is actually comes from, from the word Ishtara, which is a goddess. It was a pagan feast, actually. <laughs> this Passover we celebrate, this Passover we were commanded to celebrate forever, right? Which was prophetic of the resurrection. Jesus didn't die on Good Friday. And if you, in fact, look at it. Turn to John's Gospel. You'll see when he died. John's Gospel, chapter 19, and verse 31. John's Gospel, chapter 19, and verse 31. It tells us exactly when Jesus died, and it wasn't a Friday. It's entitled in my Bible, the, the Death of Jesus, at the top of that chapter. And verse 31 says this. Now it was the day of preparation. And the next day was to be a, what? Special Sabbath. And because of this, the Jews did not want the bodies to be left on the crosses during the Sabbath. So they asked Pilate to have the legs broken and the bodies to be taken down. Basically, where church history has got confused and where the traditions of men have come in, and in is this. And this is why we often get challenged about the resurrection Jesus died on a Wednesday afternoon. You can say this is not important. Friends, it's important. Because they keep on saying our Bible is full of contradictions. And I want you to know facts surrounding the resurrection. Okay? It is not a contradiction. He was three days and nights in the grave. And if you believe church traditions, they'll contradict that. Jesus died. It was a special Sabbath. Not a Saturday. It was Holy Week. And every Holy Week, they were celebrating Passover... Every Holy Week, there's a special Sabbath on the Thursday. Still now, you know, and with traditional Jews. So Jesus died the day before the special Sabbath on the Thursday, which was a Wednesday afternoon. Now, the guards, you weren't allowed to have someone on a cross on the Sabbath, so they needed to get him into the grave on the Wednesday night, which is what we just read. There was a rush from the guards to get the body into the grave. 
on the Wednesday night, and that's your first night, right? The second night would be the Thursday night. The third night would be the Friday night. And Jesus actually rose from the dead between 12 and 6 on Saturday. Now, that's the truth, and that's what the Bible clearly says. But the traditions of men have crept in over the years and contradicted it. And I'm just saying, you've got to be careful. You know, the Jewish clock is completely different from ours, you see. The Jews start their day at 6 o'clock in the evening, and it goes till 6 o'clock the next day, whereas we start at 12. So that's, it's hard to see it in John's Gospel there, but that's what they were saying. They needed to get him into the grave before 6. I just want you to know, this subject of the resurrection of Jesus doesn't have bare scrutiny. It stands up under massive scrutiny in every way you want to look at it. Now, I did church history in Cardiff University, and they have a massive library there. It's an Anglican library of documents from all over the world, some of the early writings. And you would not believe the text. I mean, you know, this is just one little dot of a library. But can you imagine, I mean, what's in the Vatican about this event? I mean, everybody is writing about it. People who had no interest in Jesus for other reasons, business documents and this, that and the other, testifying of the splash that Christ had made. Amen? Wow. Amen. So first, first point this morning, what are we talking about? We're talking about the actual resurrection of Jesus Christ. When did it happen? Well, that's when the Bible says it happens. It happened. And thirdly, why did it happen? Well, Acts chapter 2, if you want to turn there, Acts chapter 2 and verse 25 tells us why Jesus Christ was raised from the dead. Acts chapter 2 and verse 27 tells you why. Because he will not abandon, because you will not abandon me to the grave, nor will you let your Holy One see decay. Folks, uh, that's Acts 2, chapter, uh, verse 27. Folks, do you know what? If I, if I fall down dead here, do you know what will happen to me? My body will begin to rot. Okay? I'll start to stink. Okay? Because inside this physical body has lived a rotten person. A sinner. Right? Now, the soul that sins shall die. Now, do you follow the, do you understand what's happening here? Jesus didn't see decay. If you die, you're going to rot. And the reason you're going to rot is because you're a sinner. Your body, I mean. Your body will rot because you have committed sin in that body. Right? Now, the proof, and Paul points this out, the proof that Jesus Christ led a sinless life is that his body did not decay. They put him in that tomb. But because he had led a sinless life, he did not decay. Amen. And, and, and th there it is there in the book of Hebrews. God did not let him see that. Amen. So we commit sin in this body. It's back to the Garden of Eden. The first Adam, because he sinned, sin entered the human race. But the last Adam did not sin. And in Jesus Christ, we have this all restored to us. The hope of eternity as that drama pointed out this morning. Folks, I want you to know above all things that the gospel is good news. That God is a good, good, good God. And it wasn't anger that he, it, it, behind his motivation for sending his son to a cross. It wasn't because he hates you. It was because he loves you. 
right? Why did God the Father send His Son to a cross? Tell me. Because He loves you. That's why. It wasn't anger against you in that way. It wasn't hatred of you. It was love for you. Love for you by God. Love for you by God, your true spiritual Father. So much love that He gave the life of His only Son. As they say, it wasn't nails that held Jesus to the cross. It was His love for you. Absolutely true. And I fear in our Western thinking here within Europe, that we lose the power of the resurrection. We come, you know, a lot of our traditions have come out of Rome and that can be quite religious in, in many ways. Not always, but in many ways. And people can never get past the cross, you know. And they spend their whole lives with a penitent, head down, sorrowful sort of Christianity. And that's not it. That's not what comes out of the grave. Amen. It's a living Christ that we relate to today. It's a Christ that empowers us. So don't get duped by that. As I say, the most convincing, I used to work for Jews. I was working in a Jewish baker. And every day I would get the breads, all different types of kosher bread. And I would go from Jewish home to Jewish hospital, to Jewish school, to Jewish home for the elderly. And as I went on my job, I would bring different tracts and leaflets and I built up a great rapport with many, many Jewish people. Now, I can tell you firsthand that they are a peculiar people, just like God says. <laughs> They're a hard people. They're tough. You're not going to win a Jew too quick or too easy. There is a veil there that Paul speaks of, a veil before their eyes. And you knock and you knock, think, wow, if it was anybody else, they would have been saved years ago. And you look and you sort of begin to see not just a physical Jew, but you sort of begin to see the spiritual realities that holds them back. But for me, the most convincing thing here about the resurrection of Jesus Christ is this. In Acts, 3,000 Jews turned to Christ. My, oh my. Now let me tell you something. <laughs> to get 3,000 Jews to turn to Christ... To walk away from their faith because there's good bits too you know it's a, it's a mistaken loyalty but it's a rigid loyalty if you get 3,000 Jews to turn away from their traditional faith and turn to Christ something's happened something has taken place right I hope you can see that something major has happened for them to shift let me illustrate that I was brought up in a war zone in Belfast, in terrible years. It was horrible. I hated it. About four doors down from our house, there was a hotel, you know. And one night, they blew it up. So I was about 10 years old. I'm lying in bed and boom. And every window in our house blew in. And there's screams. There's several people killed. Next door neighbors blew into smithereens outside our door. And I come down as a young child, and I'm just thinking, what's that? And when I get, we were a very tall house, and it was three, four stories down. And by the time I got to the bottom front door, I looked, and the first thing I saw was a rifle. The rifle of a British soldier. And it was lying in our hall. That's very unusual. <laughs> Not where we lived. We lived on the peace line. And there's a rifle, and it just takes my mind. Something's going on. I, 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 miss, I didn't hear the bomb. I just got the glass. I don't know what happened too loud or something or I was half asleep. And there was a rifle. And as I went further down the stairs, there was a British soldier 
lying in, uh, in our hallway. And I, that's as far as I got because my parents stopped me. But I started to step over him. And all of a sudden, do you know what? Saying that Jesus didn't rise from the dead would be like me coming down those stairs and looking around saying, nothing's happened. There's nothing wrong. Everything is totally normal. And that's how crazy... There's a, there's a British soldier. In this case, there are Roman guards who face death for leaving their post and they flee. The first witnesses to the resurrection were unbelievers. Not the, the believers didn't believe. The believers had to be convinced and dragged. Except John. It was the unbelieving. They were the ones who ran from their post telling you something's up. Going to a certain death. You're not going to do that, right? Guards, Roman guards, flee unbelievers telling you, He's alive! He's alive! The thing he spoke of, it's happened. And they fled their post. Then, you've got Jews who will not turn. You've got the Jewish people with all their hands. They will not move. What a 3,000 of them flock into the kingdom. You see what I mean? The evidence is overwhelming. As Christ was crucified, turn to it. Matthew's Gospel, chapter 27. Look at this. We hear so much about the earthquake that happened at the cross. But we fail to hear enough about the second earthquake that happened at the resurrection. Matthew's Gospel, chapter 27 and verse 52. You're all familiar with this one. I'll start at verse 51. This is the cross. Matthew 27, 51. Please find it in your Bible. At the moment the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom, the earth shook and the rocks split. Now look at this. The tombs broke open and the bodies of many holy people who had died were raised to life and they came out of their tombs. And then the next bit's important. <laughs> then after Jesus' resurrection, they went into the holy city and they appeared to many. Look at verse 54. When the centurion, this is a strong Roman leader, right? When the centurion and those with him who were guarding Jesus saw the earthquake and all that had happened, they were terrified and they exclaimed, surely he was the son of God. Now, it's, once again, it's kind of hard for us to see what's happening. Let me put it in, in, in simple English. Jesus goes on the cross, and at the point that he dies, there's an earthquake, right? And the guards suddenly realize, hey, hang on a minute. Is this a Darkness comes over the earth. The earth turns black, and the earth shakes, and the soldiers suddenly begin to make the case. Is this the Son of God? That's what he said. Surely he was the Son of God. Surely that's who this man was. They flee their posts. And these, this is the Kidron Valley, just outside of Jerusalem. And as the earth shook, as Jesus died on the cross, these graves, you just read it, the graves of many in the Kidron Valley broke open. And the dead, doesn't say how many, the dead who were in those graves arose. Jesus dies, they rise. There's your resurrection. He dies, they rise. Holy people, not lost. The holy, it says, from many generations, raised up in this valley. Now, do you get the picture? You're a Jew in Jerusalem. 
Everybody's heard about Christ. We're going to kill him. We're going to crucify him. And the whole town is talking. They've conquered Christ. He goes on the cross. He dies. It turns black. The earth shakes. The graves open. Now tell me, if you were in that city and you were a Roman soldier, what would you do? You would do what these guys did. Stuff Rome, we're off. Right? I'll face death. I'll do anything because he was the son of God. He was who he said. These graves burst open, but hey, it's not finished. This is the graveyard. And it's the Sabbath. And there's laws here. So these resurrected bodies are not allowed to move. So the Bible says they stayed there, right? Right on, until after verse 53. They came out of their tombs and after Jesus was raised from the dead, they entered Jerusalem. So you have, we don't know how many, Possib says many. So let's say you've got 100, 200, 300, I don't know. So do you get the picture? Christ dies. They rise, but they don't leave the graveyard. And all this time in Jerusalem, people are talking. There's a stir about what's happened at the graveyard. The dead are standing by their graves, but nobody's moving. So turmoil ensues. Absolute turmoil. Three days later, there's a second earthquake. And at that second earthquake, these bodies, that's their green light. And they enter Jerusalem and they testify of the resurrection. Can you imagine my... My friend just died in Ireland, you know. Imagine him walking in here. Hello, Morgan. <laughs> You'd want to run and hide, right? Or my dad from three years ago. If my dad walked in. What? God testified of the resurrection of his son. That, the play you saw this morning, what was it about? Hopelessness. And at the resurrection of God's son, God wanted the world to know this involves you. This is your hope. This is your eternal hope. And he did not leave Christ alone at that earthquake. He left him with a great, great, great witness in that city. And that's why the Jews turned. That's why the Roman soldiers, going to certain death, said we'll happily go because we face eternal death without obeying this, the Son of God. Amen? Resurrection is a certainty. By the way, everybody gets resurrected. Lost or saved, we're all coming up. We all get a new body. We all stand before Christ. Every person who's ever lived will be resurrected. And in, in, in the book of Daniel, it says we will be resurrected and split into two groups. Not three, two groups. Some, Daniel says, will go to eternal life and some will go to eternal death. Every grave will come to life. The person in it, lost or saved, from all generations. Every person receives a new body and stands before Christ. Wow. And I can testify, friends, myself. I wasn't long saved. Saved about a year. I was praying one day and I happened to be just taking a shortcut through a graveyard. And as I walked, I was just in prayer, and I heard one of the first clear words from God I've ever heard. Two words. Come out. And it scared me because I was in a graveyard. Now, who said that? Come out. You see, I just thought, right. But you know, you've got your voice, the devil's voice, and God's voice. And I was like 99.9% .9 sure that was God's voice. That was God's voice I heard there. Didn't tell anybody. I just treasured it in my heart. In a graveyard, eh? Come out.
that Sunday, I'm sitting in church. And the pastor in that place was doing a series on Revelation. And he read from the book of Revelation. And it says this. At the, at the end of time, Jesus, with a mighty shout, will say, Come out! I, it scared the life out of me. I thought, that's it! And I can testify to you, friends. Every grave will open. And every dead person, whether they're in the sea or on land, they will rise. You and I, in an everlasting body, every person lost and saved gets an everlasting body. So you can't die. There's no more death. You're going to live forever separated from God in a body that can't die in hell. Or you're going to live forever present with the Lord Jesus. Wow. Do we need to take this seriously? Ah. Oh. And people toy around with it like a little subject they can dismiss. Well, you're fooling yourself. Many have tried to dismiss it before you. And they come face to face with an empty tomb. Right? You can approach it in any way you want. We're all going to face Christ, friends. The last thing I want you to see is when Jesus on the cross said it is finished, he wasn't talking about you. He was talking about him. Christ died on that cross and he was referring actually to the cup of God's wrath. It was finished for him. But day after day and week after week as you witness to unbelievers, they think it's finished for them too, but it isn't. Do you know what the Bible says? Listen. Without repentance, not enough people know that line. You need to know it. Without repentance, there is no forgiveness of sin and when we preach the gospel particularly on the street and you talk about heaven and hell the most common shout from the lost is this God is a good God God loves me that's what they say you don't know God and you have to shout back that's right God does love you but there's certain principles here and if you my friend have not repented your sins are not forgiven Right? It's not a question of love. Of course he loves it. For, for God so loved the world that he sent his only son, right? It's not a question of love here. It's a question of whether it's finished for you. It's finished for Christ. But until we repent of our sin and turn to him, we're not saved. And it is not over for you. This is the day to do it. Easter Sunday of all days of your year. People dismissed Jesus. Pilate said, ha, wash my hands of him and I can walk away. No, you can't, Pilate, because you're going to be resurrected and face him. Herod thought, just give him over to the Jews. Let them crucify him. I'll be, no, you're not, Pilate. You're going to face him. The Pharisees, and maybe you today, maybe you say, well, it's something you can just dismiss. Well, it isn't. We will all face Christ, but it depends which camp you are going to be in. Daniel tells us there's two. One group going on to eternal life and one group going on to eternal death because they chose it. They chose it. As they say, the only reason anyone ends up in hell is because they chose to be there. Because Christ has offered you salvation today, here, in this place. Invite the worship team back. Would you bow your, your, your heads a moment? I want to give a, a moment for you to think about what you've heard. I want to ask you, if you don't know Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior and you've never repented 
of your sins. I want you just to put your hand up and say, that's me. And at the end of this meeting, I'll come and we'll pray together. Thank you. Anybody else? If you want to say, today I want to repent. Thank you. Anybody else? Is there anyone else who's never repented? Say, I want to be born again. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Lord, we pray for these who have responded. Would you give them the grace of salvation here this morning? And with them, we repent too, God. We turn to the cross. We turn to you and cling to you. And I thank you that we have a, a sure and lasting hope in you, our God. Lord, grant them great faith, great repentance, and true and lasting salvation in their lives, we pray. In Jesus' name.